Well, thanks, Marshall, and uh, thanks, Jen. You solved, uh, solved my problem. We don't have to do any more equipping. We don't have to do the workshop. We don't have to do the blessed series. Just get the Jesus balloons. We'll have Jesus balloons for you at the, at the door when you go this morning. And, you know, you just rub them on people's head and it just attracts them to Jesus. That, that, that's a great illustration, though, of how the Holy Spirit works through these practices that we do, through a lifestyle that we do every day and that we can do every day. And we, a lot of these practices you're already doing. So it's, uh, it's actually just maybe being a bit more intentional about them. Maybe it's picking up a few more of them. Maybe it's just doing them together. A lot of times we don't think about that, right? We feel all this weight for us to reach out to somebody all on our own. And we don't realize God's given us a family of God together. That's why it's great to see the kids up here on Sunday mornings every once in a while remind us. Because they, they all huddle together. They work together. They're used to being together. And so we can learn from their same spirit of what it looks like to work together as a church family. So this morning I'm going to do something a little bit different than I normally do on Sunday morning. I'm going to give you this introduction to the whole Blessed series by just giving you kind of an overview of it. But I want to tell you why I'm doing that this morning. And I will go back to that passage of Scripture that Marshall read for us. Uh, this morning in just a couple of minutes, but I wanted to jump back to the first day that I was here speaking, and I talked to you about navigating a pastoral change, that there's actually kind of five movements to it. There's that first one where we pause to acknowledge our dependence on God, and we do that through prayer, and then we engage in these spiritual rhythms uh, together that help us discern where God and what He's doing and, and how to join Him in His work And then the third one is the process, the process where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. And PEAK helps us do that. So part of what we're doing this morning and part of what your PEAK team is doing and part of the next hour when we give report, Jerry and I and the PEAK team, and we take your questions and we pray together, is just processing where we are so that in May uh, we can form a search committee that works with your bishop and starts to look for a new candidate for your next pastor to come to Mount Joy Mennonite Church. And so all this stuff comes together in that processing and then mapping out these stepping stones on the pathway for your congregation and leadership. And then moving forward in faith, adjusting as you move forward because we never have our plans perfect, do we? Just go on vacation sometime. You'll figure it out. All of your plans go awry when the bolt on the car top carrier breaks the first morning of you loading it to go on vacation like it did to me last year. Thank goodness Lowe's is open early in the morning, and they have drill bits and ways of fixing things up. So we always have to adjust as we move forward. So I want you to look. Uh, this is the first time you're going to see this. You're going to see this a little bit later today. You're going to get in a handout. And this is a little bit difficult to see, so I, uh, I apologize for that. But this is your outcome of your scoring from your peak survey that you did that, that helps you look into eight different areas of your church. Spiritual leadership, personal growth, missions focus, loving community, worship gathering, vision alignment, financial stewardship, and effective organization. And you'll get a handout with this a little bit later on uh, in the second hour, and you'll be able to see it a little bit clearer. But as you answered questions about them, basically, um, there were, you know, we had great buy-in from you. Thanks for jumping in there and taking the survey. You did a great job doing that. But when we heard back from you, 
What you indicated as areas of strength were like financial stewardship, uh, effective organization, vision alignment, worship gathering. Um, but uh, then there's some areas for development. And the areas that probably need a little bit more development are somewhere there in the middle. And the idea of PEAK isn't just to take these areas that we would say are areas of development, but it's actually to look at what are some of the themes in the church that can be attended to that could help cross all these different areas of development. And if we attended to them, they would help boost and help the health and life of Mount Joy Church. Now, as you can see, your church is a pretty healthy church. It just needs to attend to some things in order to grow. And one of those things one of the things that you said, not only through taking the survey, but you said in the comments, and we got over a thousand comments. Thank you for engaging. You know what that shows? It shows that you care about your church. Amen? That you want to be involved. A lot of times we do a survey and we get a few smattering comments. We get over a thousand comments, and Jerry's going to talk to you about them in the second hour. But what we saw through in the comments was there was kind of this expectation or a hunger, or as Jerry would put it, a yearning to learn how to bless our neighbors. To learn how to bless our neighbors. So, you know, when I first came to uh, Mount Joy and I saw your vision statement and your mission statement on the wall, that whole idea of, hey, we're here to enjoy God, to love one another, and bless our neighbors. I actually thought of a book I had on my shelf at home. First day I was in here, I was doing an interview, I was walking through, and I saw that, bless our neighbors, and I'm like, oh, wonder if those guys would, if I came here, if they'd ever want to do the bless book, or walk through the, a bless series, or something. It just kind of hit me, because I've seen very few churches that have said they intentionally want to bless their neighbors. And so I was impressed, and I've been impressed, because I think you are a congregation that says, we're warm, we're welcoming, we're open, we just want to learn how to bless our neighbors. We want to learn how to make a lasting impact, sharing with them what Jesus has done for us. And so a couple of the upcoming opportunities, you saw the Love and Lead workshop that's coming up, facilitated by Pastor Josh, and I'll help him out with that too. And then on May 5th, we're going to have a workshop called Better Conversations with um, the Holmans, the Holmans, Heather and Ash Holman. They, um, she teaches at Penn State University. She's written a book called the six conversations that's kind of selling off the charts. And they're going to come here on May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Remember that, write that down. I know that's a big Mennonite holiday, (laughs) Cinco de Mayo. And uh, they're going to come and just give us some teaching and some help with how to have better conversations and how to follow up on some curiosity with people. And they're great folks. I've seen them do this in a number of places, and they do a great job with it, and they really work well together. But this morning, I really want to just give you this overview of the Blessed Series. And I'm excited to engage in this series with you. Um, I have done this series at uh, maybe one or two other churches, and I've seen it really help the church get traction in not being afraid of that word evangelism. Uh, Most Christians are afraid of the word evangelism. Most non-Christians are afraid of the word evangelism, you know, because we have these stereotypes about it, about evangelism, and this whole idea that somehow we have to get somebody in this manipulative monologue and engage them in it, 
and somehow coerce them across the line of faith, but that's not what blessing our neighbor is about. That's not what evangelism is about. And Jesus modeled for us a way that we can be a blessing to our neighbors. In Mark 12, 28 through 34, Marshall just read it for us. Jesus basically tells us that the best use of life is love. The way to show love is time, and the time to love is now. The best use of life is love. The best way to show love is to give someone your time, and the time to love is now now in the present moment, okay? And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, it kind of pushes us in, and I just want to go over these five practices or habits or areas of development that we go through for bless. So we bless our neighbors. What's it mean to bless our neighbors? We bless our neighbors, number one, by beginning with prayer, by beginning with prayer, okay? In Matthew 9, 25 through 38 is the passage that we'll look at next week, and we'll look at it, and we'll uh, take a jump in there, and we'll look at how when we pray, basically this, when we pray, we see where God is working, and we join Him there in His work. We see where God is working, and we join Him there in His work. My, my friend at Front Yard Mission says it this way. He says, before You talk to your neighbor about God, talk to God about your neighbor. Before you talk to your neighbor about God, talk to God about your neighbor. Ask God what he's doing. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, where he's at and what's going on. So so many times, you know, we're we're, we're like, well, I'm I'm, going to share my faith. You know, they'll write it down. I'm going to say something. I'm going to wait for that right moment. And we got kind of nervous about it. Instead of just praying and asking God, where are you working? Which neighbor are you prompting and guiding? Which neighbor's curious? Remember from the video that we just watched here? What neighbor needs to take a next step? And how can I be part of their next step with you, Jesus? You're working. See, Jesus is already at work. And next week we'll see Jesus moving into these towns and villages, and he's at work. And prayer helps us join Jesus in where he's already working. I've been so encouraged by sitting in the Next Steps elective class and studying the blessed book with many of you. And one of the things I've been encouraged about is how many people on the week of beginning with prayer were sharing about people that they were beginning to pray for and how God was already helping them see not what they needed to impose or do, but just to join Jesus in his work by spending time with some of those people, by sharing life with some of those people, by being curious with them. And um, when, uh, uh, when when I've been doing that and hearing those stories, I kind of wished I had brought somebody in with a camera (laughs) and filmed some of those for next week, because I'd love for you to hear them. Um, Just simple, because they're simple. When we begin with prayer, we begin like Jesus did. Before Jesus ever did his ministry, before he called the 12, what did he do? He went and prayed. He began with prayer. He was always sensitive to what the Father was doing. So when we bless our neighbors, we begin by praying with them. Here's what happens sometimes in our prayer life. We can get cynical, can't we? I was reading a book not too long ago called A Praying Life. I was rereading it. I read it a couple years ago by Paul Miller. It's a great little book. If you ever want to read a book that encourages you about prayer, 
read that book. Because so many books about prayer, I love books about prayer, but so many books about prayer, you read it and you go, hey, that just confirmed I'm terrible at praying. So if you want to read a book that encourages you about prayer, this one really does. And he encourages you by, he makes you look at, are you cynical? Have you bought into the fact, or are you thinking that it is a fact and it's not a fact, that God's just not working like that anymore? And you're cynical because maybe you've prayed and you haven't seen the answers you wanted to see to prayer, or, or you haven't seen God move in the way that you've wanted to see Him move, and, and you've kind of lost that childlike faith. And He said, you know, it's really important in prayer to rediscover childlike faith. That's why I like that begin with prayer. Let's pray and see what God's doing. And join him in that. Let's see where he's waving a balloon over somebody else's head and drawing them to himself. And who are they? And how can I be part of that? And how can I be part of what the Holy Spirit's doing? In his book, Paul Miller writes this, The cure for cynicism when it comes to prayer is to become like a little child again. Instead of critiquing other stories, watch the story our Father is weaving And as you cling to the shepherd, the fog of cynicism lifts. I like that. Cling to the shepherd in prayer, and that fog of cynicism lifts. And it becomes more clear how you should be praying for others. Second thing I want to talk about this morning is when we bless our neighbors, we do that by listening well. We do that. We bless our neighbors by listening well. John 1, 1 through 18 talks about Jesus becoming incarnate. And the incarnation has kind of this pattern of Jesus left his world, Jesus came into our world, and then Jesus hung in the balance between his world and our world. He hung in the balance. He did that figuratively. He did that literally. He did it physically. He left his world came into our world, and he hung in the balance. That is a great picture of how to listen to somebody else well. Leave your world, enter their world, hang between the two worlds. Sometimes listening to somebody else is a sacrifice. Amen? It almost always is if you want to really hear them and get to know them and hear their perspective. It's hanging in the middle like Jesus did. And when we do this kind of incarnational listening, we'll be doing this in two weeks from now, we'll be talking about this. When we do that, it's a great pattern for being curious, just like Jesus was. I forget how many questions it was that Jesus asked. It was over 300 and some. I have it. It's, it's documented in a book. 300 and some odd questions that Jesus asked. He only answered like a handful three to five questions. He was always asking questions. He wanted to get to know. He was curious. When we listen well, it lets somebody else know, I'm interested in you. I value you. I want to get to know you. When we bless our neighbors, we get to know them and what's important to them and what they value. David Augsburger, in his book, Caring Enough to Hear and Be Heard, has said this, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved. For the average person, they don't know the difference, right? 
Sometimes when someone's just listening to me, caring about me, they're phrasing back to me, they're taking a guess at why I feel that way or think that way or what I might be going through or what I might be processing if I'm going through that. I really feel like, oh, they care about me. But there's other times where people can even be phrasing back to you and then all of a sudden you feel like they just listened to me to fire back. They were just listening for ammo, (laughs) right? They weren't listening to understand. So when we listen to our neighbors and even listen to the places in our community, you can listen to a place in in your community and get to know what its needs are, what's going on in my community. How can I hear what's going on there when we listen well? So we bless our neighbors by listening well. Third, we bless our neighbors by eating together with them. Wasn't last week a lot of fun to eat together? Come on, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, all you, you, you're like, yeah, I had to clean up. You didn't clean up after all that. I helped a little bit. I just enjoyed eating together. I enjoyed sitting at the table, getting to know somebody new. And, and I sat with a guy named Leon, and that's my dad's name. And I'm like, oh, Leon, another Leon. I like Leons. And uh, so we had a great conversation. We talked and met. And I'd seen Leon a couple times in the, in the, in the Next Steps class, but I never really got to talk with, with him, you know, and hear his story. and where he, So we just got to ask questions and hang out. And, you know, there's something about eating together that Jesus knew the power of it. Many of Jesus' encounters with other people was when he was eating. Think about it. Eating together. Feeding the 4,000. Feeding the 5,000. Having, you know, lunch or, or dinner with Matthew, the tax collector. And, and we'll look at that story of Matthew in 9, 9 through 13, when we talk about eating together. Sharing a meal provides great opportunities for these life-giving even lifelong connections with people. Much of Jesus' ministry involved eating together. Eating together. In Matthew 9, you see, he breaks down these barriers and he, he goes to eat with a tax collector. He calls him to be his disciple. And over that meal, what? Barriers are broken down. Over a meal, barriers are broken down. We're eating together. Stuff is stuck on your tooth. Something's stuck on my tooth. We're chewing on things. We're drinking things. We're laughing. We're talking. We're enjoying things together. There's something about being around that meal that just helps us enjoy life together. My sister-in-law is a magnificent cook. She's a magnificent cook. Now, you would never know that when you're around her and she's getting the meal ready because she's not one of these people that's off by herself. She's talking with you. She's done a lot of prep ahead of time. She's telling you what she's made. Um, and she makes some of the best Korean barbecue in the whole entire world. She's a Japanese lady, but she makes the best Korean barbecue in the whole entire world. Terio can make some food. But when you are eating with Terrio, you are getting to know Terrio. I remember one time when um, the, uh, my brother-in-law and Terrio and the kids lived in Seattle. We were visiting them, and my kids loved her pot stickers. They still to this day. 
They love Terrio's pot stickers. You know what pot stickers are? You know, like little dumplings, you know, Asian dumplings, and they're just marvelous. They're like Asian manna or something. I don't know. And she just kept making them and making them and making them. And she had the kids making them. And we were cooking them. And as we were cooking together and making them together, what happened? They got to know their Aunt Terrio because they didn't get to see her that often. They got to hear about her background and her family. They got to hear her laugh. They got to hear her sing a song. They got to, you know, interact with her. So sometimes when we're eating together, what? It just brings the barriers down. We bless our neighbors when we learn how to just break bread with them, share a meal with them. I thought this was a great quote by N.T. Wright. He wrote this. When Jesus himself wanted to explain to the disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. He gave them a meal. And he said, and as often as you break bread together like this, remember me around the meal. They remembered the meal they remembered the washing of the feet. They remembered the exchange of food. They remember drinking wine. They remembered setting up the place. They remembered everything about it, right? And if we think about it, the culmination of all time, according to the Bible, ends in a meal. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Read the book of Revelation. The great feast, the great meal is there. This week, I was reading some scriptures in my quiet time from the Old Testament and talked about three different meals that the Israelites were to have, three feasts they were to have during the year. Why? Meals have always been important to God because God knows at a meal, the barriers come down. We get to know one another. We get to know Him. We bless our neighbors, number four, by serving in love. By serving in love. Our kids had some great ideas up here about how to serve and love, you know, mow their grass. This is the time of year you want to go mow someone's grass. It's really easy to do it. <laughs> Raking leaves, going out and serving together in the community. Matthew 5 and 11 through 16 shows us that when we serve in love, we're what? We're salt and we're light, and we're a road sign that points those people to Jesus. When we serve in love, we're salt. We bring out the best flavors in the world. We bring out the true flavors of God. We're just joining God in His work, and He's bringing out the flavor. That's what being salt is. We're light. We light the pathway. And that pathway, they see this road sign. And in that passage of Scripture, it says, and they will see your Father who is in heaven, and it will give Him glory. They will worship Him. So when we serve, the outcome of our service is always for people to what? To see the Father. To catch a glimpse of the good, good Father and what He's doing in our life for them to taste and see that He is good. You know, I have some friends who are pastors and they belong to a denomination called the Brethren in Christ. Have you ever heard of the Brethren in Christ? They're your cousin, right? Maybe your first cousin. I don't know how that all works. But one thing I love about the Brethren in Christ, and one thing that I really enjoy about them, and 
I know Pastor Doug Bender just up the road. As a matter of fact, they're going to be doing peak. Did you know that? Crossroads Church is doing peak. And they've already started a survey and going to be doing that. And I'll be helping them out a little bit with that. But I've known Pastor Doug for a long time because Pastor Doug was an alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance pastor before he became a Brethren in Christ minister. And uh, so, so, so what that he's a bit of a traitor? I still love him. It's all the family of God, amen? Who are these different labels? It's all the family of God. So one of the things I love about them is the basin and the towel. The cross, the basin, and the towel. That's their logo. That's what marks them. And so I was asking uh, one of my friends who's a brother in Christ minister, I said, if you could have anything tattooed on you that would ever point somebody else to Jesus Christ, what would you have tattooed on your arm that other people see? And he said, oh, the basin and the towel. The cross, the basin, and the towel. So I know that you might be again this, okay? You might be again it. Again, tattoos. Or maybe you're not. But a tattoo usually makes some sort of statement. If you had to tattoo anything on your body that would point somebody else to Jesus, what would it be? What would it be? I think my brother in Christ friend has it right. Any sign of serving points others to the master. Amen? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We're never more like the master than when we serve and we love and we care for our neighbors in that way. Last point this morning I want to talk to you about is we bless our neighbors by sharing our stories. John 9, 1 through 38 and we'll unpack that in just a couple of weeks, teaches us that when we tell our story, the end result of our story is always pointing to Jesus as the hero of our story. Don't be afraid of your story. Don't be afraid of your story not being um, engaging enough or curious enough or have too many details. You know what? Jesus is the hero of your story. Amen? And the point beginning to tell your story is to tell people about Jesus, the hero of your story. Always point to Jesus as the hero of the story. Jesus and his love. John 9 reveals this blind man, and you see that he's got some pain. He makes an exchange, and after he reveals his pain and the exchange, he points to Jesus as the hero of his story when he says, I once was blind, but now I see, and Jesus made all the difference. So that's really all of our stories, right? We once were blind. Now we see Jesus is making all the difference. He's the one who is our healer, our redeemer, our savior, our friend. A couple years ago, my oldest brother, my oldest brother loves to tell stories. He's a really good storyteller. He used to tell me stories when I was a little guy and I slept in the same room with him. And he would help me go to sleep at night. 
So he would kind of make up these stories because there were train cars going by at the Lewistown Junction. We could hear that right down over the hill from where we lived. And he would make up stories about us being hobos and we're on the train. You and I and Lonnie, our other brother, Lonnie's out like a light already, you know. He didn't have a hard time going to sleep. And he would make up these stories, and he loved to tell stories. Well, after my brother retired from teaching in State College School District, he actually went for a couple of years to the National Storytelling Convention. Did you know they had that? They actually have a thing called the National Storytelling Convention. Thousands of people converged. And the, the, the times that he went, one of the times he went was down in Tennessee. And uh, so different people got up and told stories, and they'd had other venues where you could get up and tell stories. They had people teaching you how to tell a story well and all this kind of thing. And, and one of the storytellers there was uh, a gal named Erin Morgenstern. And my brother brought back to me this quote from her. You may tell a story that takes up residence in someone's soul. The tale will move and drive them, and who knows what they might do because of it. Because of your words, that is your role, that is your gift, to tell your story. To tell your story. Who knows what someone will do because of your story? That's your gift. Share your story. Share it well. Enjoying God, loving each other, blessing our neighbors. We want to follow his lead, right? rather than feel pressure or be pressured. I love the way Dave and John Ferguson say this in their book, Bless. So if you're feeling the pressure to say or do something right so someone else can find and follow Jesus, the pressure's off. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Relax and realize that's not your role. But you can join him in his work and bless the people around you just do the blessing and let God do the converting. Let's say that out loud together. Just do the blessing, let God do the converting. Just do the blessing, let God do the converting. Let's talk to him right now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have had this blessed strategy in mind for years and eons, you said it to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. You brought it again through the nation of Israel and told them, I will bless you to be a blessing. You brought it through Jesus, I will bless you to be a blessing. You brought it to the church, I will bless you to be a blessing. You've brought it to this church and this people, I will bless you to be a blessing. Lord Jesus, help us to learn from you how to begin with prayer, how to listen well, how to eat together, how to serve and love, and share our story of Jesus and his love so that other people get to come to the table before you. They get to enjoy you, they get to love each other, and they get to bless their neighbors too. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.